best ball show brought to you by johnpelli.com what the f you think is my opinion of it i think it was put that in i don't so the tribe drops its third straight on this trip six to one to the rangers for the indians one run on let's say one hit that's all we got one goddamn hit don't worry nobody's listening anyway say i wouldn't know but i would Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Damon Mann. I'm not in here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any... CSB Studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com on EMTR Radio Network. Today is Thursday, the 28th of June. Getting ready to let you know everything going on in Major League Baseball from the past, the future, and the history. Everything going on in the game. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined towards the end of this hour by former Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Jose Silva. And in the 6 o'clock hour today, I'll be joined by... SNY anchor and late night show host Kirk Jimenez, who will talk some great stuff. And honestly, dude, I'm pretty excited about this show. There's a ton of stuff I want to go over. I'm actually going to open up the phone lines. I want to let you guys know that you got an opportunity now between now and 5:30 to call in. Number here is 609-910-0687. And like I said, I'll take calls up until about maybe 5:30 or so. While I'll get ready for. Uh, for uh, my discussion with Jose Silva, we'll take you up to the top of the hour. And then uh, Kirk Jimenez will be in the 6 o'clock hour. And I am going to reveal something that I am that guy when it comes to something that, you know, annoys a lot of people at Major League ballparks and a lot of people throughout the country. And, you know, I'm going to put something on the line because people are going to get upset with me over this. And this is something that I'll admit I don't really care about. And I'll get into that in a little bit. We'll talk about that probably part of the second part of the hour of uh, the program. I'm going to start out pretty much where I always do. We'll talk about the Mets who are coming off a 17-1 to victory over the Chicago Cubs in a series that, let's be honest, was not a very good one. You're matched up against a team in Chicago, which does not look good at all. They are one of, absolutely one of the worst teams in baseball right now, and there's no excuse for you know, dropping the first two games, I listen. I'm willing to give them a pass for Monday. It was an unfortunate situation having a Sunday night game against the Yankees. 
and to lose that game close and then have to fly to Chicago, you know, it could have been worse. I mean, it could have been playing at 1 o'clock in Chicago. You know, you know, they got a lot of day games there. So it actually could have been worse. But the Mets were absolutely flat on Monday. They come back on Tuesday and lost a close game. And the bottom line is that cannot happen. That absolutely cannot happen. Once again, we'll open up the phone line, 609-910-0687. We'll get you up until about 530 where I'll break, and then we'll get Jose Silva in for the first part of the hour, Kirk Jimenez part of the second hour. And the Mets' bats yesterday obviously went off. They had a ridiculous run, something we really haven't seen this year. The offense just absolutely going on fire, home runs going everywhere. I'm sure they benefited from playing in Wrigley Field with the wind blowing out. And it certainly helped them out a little bit. Get two home runs from Daniel Murphy, an opposite field shot by Ike Davis, and, of course, the grand slam by Scott Hairston. And here's one thing, and, and, I've, and I've had a lot of discussion with some people about, you know, the Mets today and where they go from here. And, you know, was this a, a victory during this three-game series? Absolutely not. You can't lose two or three to one of the worst teams in baseball. But I will say this. Some people have been critical uh, about teams that score a lot of runs in one game. And the first thing that comes to their head, hey, I hope they save some for tonight. The Mets play the Dodgers, of course, in Los Angeles. Chris Capuano opposing Chris Young for the Mets. And, you know, the thing is, hey, you know, you score 17 runs in a game. The next game you score zero. Here's the way I look at it. It's important to have games like this because there are hitters on the Mets. There are hitters on every team that don't have it together. There, there's hitters that aren't really in a groove. And sometimes it takes something like a game like last night to get somebody going. And we've talked about Ike Davis. Is he out of his slump? Is he going to be out of his slump? Is he going to get any better? Is he going to struggle? Is he going to be able to hit home runs You know the way he has over the last couple of weeks? Is he back? And the bottom line is games like this start streaks for individual players not necessarily streaks for teams and when we talk about you know a team like the Mets who obviously dropped four straight before winning yesterday it, it would be nice to have a couple guys in that lineup that you could say hey I don't want to pitch to this guy and David Wright has been pretty much that guy all season his power has not been incredible but he's had a very good season the guy's hitting 357 right now he is driving in runs he drove in five runs last night he didn't need a home run to do it so it's showing that you know you can hit home run you know you can hit home runs or you cannot hit home runs. But the bottom line is the guy's been productive all season. He's probably been the most consistent net if you go up and down that lineup. Some guys have been on little runs and others have you know fumbled for the most part of the season. But you hope a game like last night is a message. It, it could get somebody going. A guy like Daniel Murphy who hasn't hit a home run in 357 at bats hits two in consecutive at-bats after hitting a double to start the game. You, know, you wonder if he could kind of carry it into L.A. and maybe go on a little run for about two weeks where he could you know, get his average back over 300. And I'm, I'm not so sold on him being a power hitter. I don't think we really need him to be a power hitter. I think you just need him to get base hits and be a 300 hitter. He's, you know, Daniel Murphy hitting 270 with you know, less than 30 RBIs right now is not helpful. But a Daniel Murphy hitting 300, driving in some more runs, getting on base, getting the on base percentage up, that's productive. And you hope, you know, maybe yesterday, and you could see as Daniel Murphy is circling the bases every, after he hit that first home run, the monkey was off his back. You know it's something that he's thinking about. And those who want to be critical of Daniel Murphy cannot take one thing away from him, and that's this fact. 
that the guy plays his ass off. The guy gives you everything he's got on every given day. And yes, if he makes a stupid play in a field, there's nobody that feels worse about it than Daniel Murphy. And it's not you, the fan. It's not you, the fan, cursing at him or saying this and that. Daniel Murphy cares about this game as much as any Mets player that I've seen in a long time. And you watch him go out there and, listen, it's not all perfect. It's not all roses fielding a ground ball at second base when you're not a second baseman. But he has played adequate, which I think is all you could ask for. You're not expecting this guy to go to second base and be a gold glover. Anybody that was thinking that, either, number one, you just don't like Daniel Murphy, or number two, you're not being realistic. You cannot expect a guy to go over there and play gold glove defense. The guy has turned double plays much better than anybody would have anticipated. Remember in spring training in 2011, I remember from being there, you know, watching a guy try to turn a double play, he was having issues. He was worried about somebody sliding into him and messing up his knees and yada, 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 and sure enough, it happened again during the season. But here's a guy that's gotten used to it. He's gotten used to taking the ball and being you know, pretty much you know, fearless. He's going to go in there and turn the double play now. Listen, is he going to turn it with the finesse of a Roberto Alomar? Absolutely not. But you've watched lately. He's actually been able to turn, you know, turn double plays. Yeah, I think there was a runner sliding into him. I don't know if it was last game or the game before. And you know, a play maybe last year, he would have either bailed or he would have gotten destroyed. And he stood in there and he made a perfect throw to first base. And that's a, that's a big sign. So when we're talking about Daniel Murphy, listen, I don't think this is a guy that could carry the New York Mets. And I think anybody that's putting those expectations on him, expecting him to be a player like that, eh, I think it's asking for a little too much. Um, I'll remind you, the number once again is 609-910-0687. You could dial in and right here, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli, ready to talk about everything in regards to baseball. Um, now, the Mets play the Dodgers today, and I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about the Mets because there's plenty of other stuff going on. There's plenty of other stuff that I've hit up on in my blog, Bases Empty blog, johnpielli.com, yada, yada, yada. But really, coming into tonight, the Mets face the Los Angeles Dodgers, a team that got off to an incredible start. And a team right now is, that's struggling. They have some issues right now. Things are not going well for them. And the bottom line is, Sometimes you luck out when you face a team when they're down. And I think if you're a Mets fan, you've got to hope that this is a situation where the Dodgers are down and the Mets could take three out of four in this series. Now, I know that's crazy. You know, you talk about going to the West Coast, and usually, you know, an East Coast team going to the West Coast is going to have its biggest problems. You know, whether, whether it's a time differential, whether it's being on the plane, whether it's realizing you're on the other side of the country, I don't know what it is, but for years... East Coast teams that travel to the West Coast seem to have problems there. But I don't think it works vice versa. It really doesn't. You know, you watch West Coast teams go to the East, and, you know, they're adequate at best. I mean, it's not, I mean, adequate at worst. It's not like, you know, it's not like they have an advantage, but at the same time, it's not like they go out there and they lay eggs like East Coast teams do when they go to the West Coast. So that's one thing. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's been happening for years. As far as I follow baseball, and you know what, the numbers would back me up that you know East Coast teams don't play well out of the West. And the Mets hope are hoping in this situation, as they get their buddy Chris Capuano pitching against them tonight, that they could go out there and catch the Dodgers while they're down. You know, Andre Ethier is hurt. Matt Kemp is still out. Clayton Kershaw can't get a win no matter how good he pitches. And that being said, listen, can the Mets come in there and take three out of four? 
I don't think that's crazy. I mean, should it be expected? No. I mean, if you ask me if I would sign up for a split of the series, and I think you'd have to take it. I don't think you want to drop a series like this, especially after what happened in Chicago. And I'll, I'll say it again. The Chicago Cubs really look like one of the worst teams in baseball. Their bullpen, I, I mean, I don't know how you could believe this, but it's actually worse than the Mets. Um, you know, their starters, they got Garza, you know, who's going to give you a quality chance to win every time out. Ryan Dempster's still out. Listen, it's very easy to get into their bullpen, and their bullpen stinks. And offensively, you got guys like Starlin Castro. I know Anthony Rizzo made his Cub debut this week. Brian LaHarris put up some good numbers. Alfonso Soriano actually hasn't been that bad. He's been on a pretty good run. But his team stinks. And to go in there and lose two out of three in Wrigley Field, listen, it's not the end of the world. It, it's not a sign that we should just quit and give up the season if you're the Mets and a New York Mets fan. But it's something that has to be made up some other place. Whether it's this weekend against the Dodgers, taking three out of four, or next week, re, you know, taking a, you know, sweeping the Cubs at home, or you know, winning the series against Philadelphia, going on a little bit of a run to kind of co, you know, you know, um, erase what happened in Chicago. They have to do it. They have to erase what happened there, which was not good. It was not a good run. Uh, you cannot drop the first two games there. I know they were both close. I know they were. Poss- you know, quite possibly games the Mets could have won, but they didn't. And the bottom line is they got to come out there and play strong. And hopefully the flight to you know L.A. is all right playing tonight. They'll get enough rest. They'll be able to go out there. And hopefully they can hit Chris Capuano a little bit. And it's going to kind of segue me into this point about Chris Capuano. A lot of people are saying that the New York Mets made a terrible move by not re-signing Capuano. And, you know, obviously it came down to money. The Dodgers were able to guarantee him money for, you know, a, a, you know, a year, you know, a couple of years while the Mets really weren't in, in, the, in the league to do anything about it. And maybe the Mets just felt that he wasn't worth the contract. The fact that he is 9-2 and two right now is, not, is, to me, not a sign that the Mets did the wrong thing. I mean, the Mets do have enough depth in their rotation, and they've been thankful with the injury to Mike Pelfrey, that Chris Young has been able to come back and has stepped in to the rotation, which I think is a surprise. And I, I and listen, I, th- I don't really think the rotation's okay now. I don't think they needed Capuano. And what's to say that if Chris Capuano was pitching for the Mets, he'd be 9-2? and two. I mean, the game is so unpredictable. You cannot predict what happens in baseball. You cannot predict that Clayton Kershaw is going to have five wins right now, and that's all he has. You know, as well as he's pitched, he's pitched well enough to have 10 or more. And he's not getting any wins. But Chris Capuano has been on the right side of a lot of games. His 1-9 games is probably headed to the All-Star game. But I don't think this was a bad move by the Mets. This was a situation where, listen, they got a very good year out of him. They got a 500 season where he gave him a lot of innings. And remembering back to spring training of last year, the biggest concern for the Mets at their rotation was not so much Chris Young. It was Chris Capuano. And remember, Young came in throwing a ball very well. He solidified the number four spot in the rotation. And Capuano was actually working a little bit in relief. While Terry Collins and the Mets were trying to figure out whether Capuano was going to be able to have the endurance to be a starting pitcher for a full season. And obviously, they ended up making the right decision by popping him in there and having him 
uh, start. He ends up making just about all of his starts and, you know, had a very good season. And I think he, he was productive. He had a good season. And I think any Met fan would be happy with what they got out of Chris Capuano last season. But it's not, it's not, a, it's not a thing to go crazy over that he's 9-2 and two right now. Good for him. Here's a guy who's battled some major arm issues and injuries over his career on track. So good for him. But the Mets got to go out there and beat him tonight. You know, Chris Young has pitched well. He pitched in the seventh inning of the Yankee game. I'm not really going to go too crazy about that series. I mean, the Mets, you know, are an inferior team to the Yankees. And, you know, Mets fans may not want to hear this, but the Yankees are a better team. Let's be honest. I mean, the Mets... Did a good job by staying tough. They lost two close games uh, Saturday and Sunday after winning on Friday. But the Yankees are a better team. I mean, they got they have they have guys in the middle of that order that scare you. A guy like Robinson Cano could come up at any time and hit a home run against you. Who on the Mets scares you like that? I understand David Wright's hitting three fifty seven. I understand Ike is starting to heat up. But there's nobody in the Mets lineup that you fear the way you fear Robinson Cano. And when you have players like that on your team, you have a distinct advantage. And, and listen, would it be great to have won either, Friday, either Saturday or Sunday? Absolutely, particularly Sunday when I was in attendance at the game. I, w- I would have loved to see it, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way. But it doesn't mean that this team is not going to have a chance. This team is not going to be able to compete in the National League, particularly in the Eastern Division, which I think is still up for grabs right now. The Washington Nationals have played all right. They've played well. They've played like a division leader right now, and they deserve to be in first place. The Braves have quietly stuck in there and played well. And then there's the Mets. You know, you got the Marlins who are absolutely falling off the face of the earth. And listen, as a fan of any team in that division other than the Marlins, it couldn't happen fast enough. You know, there was as much hype to this team as there was for, you know, the Miami Heat, for God's sakes. Yes, they made some good moves. They added Jose Reyes. They signed Mark Burley. They added Ozzie Guillen as the manager. Carlos Zambrano, until recently, has pitched very well for them. They signed Heath Bell. But that doesn't guarantee you anything. It really doesn't. And if you're, you know, if you're looking at things this way, listen, I, I mean, I'm all right with them being in last place. It's all right. You know, listen, if a fan, a fan of a team like, you know, like the Mets would want to see the Phillies in last place, listen, let the Marlins ride the pine. Let them be in last place. Let them be the worst team in the division but we all understand that things can change very quickly and they definitely can i'll throw the number out one more time this will be the last time if anybody wants to call in 609-910-0687 passball show mtr radio network brought to you by john um was getting into in my blog today i was talking about the mets need to bring in a relief pitcher and you know i've answered a couple comments back and forth with twitter some suggestions of some guys that are out there such as a jc romero or a brad lidge and to me i'm not i'm not so crazy about it i wouldn't go nuts over it i wouldn't insist that they pick pick these guys up but if they'll, if they'll take a minor league contract and show if they have something left i'm okay with it i'm okay with it i'm not endorsing it but the bottom line is the Mets need another arm in that pen. They need somebody to put in there and give another shot to. Particularly with Frank Francisco out right now, the Mets need to, I don't know if it's somebody that's in their bullpen already, perhaps a Ramon Ramirez, maybe a John Roush, somebody to step it up. But they need to get more of an impact pitcher in that bullpen, particularly with Frank Francisco not in there. 
Bobby Parnell, I think has pitched pretty well all year. Tim Burdak has gotten the job done this year. But that's really been all they got. John Roush has really been up and down. And, you know, listen, he, he'll give you a good outing and then he'll give you a bad outing. Ramon Ramirez has been the same thing. Though he's pitched, I think he's pitched pretty well since he's come off the DL. But they need to get somebody. And I think the best way to do it, as if you read my blog today, Bases Empty blog on JohnPielli.com, they got to make a trade. And I know when Met fans hear the big word, trade, they think of this big, huge thing that everybody's talked about with the farm system and how long it's take to develop these young players and how could you think about trading anybody. You don't have to trade your top players to get a pitcher in this game. And I think the quicker the Mets act, the better off they'll be. Teams are, are going to be looking to move a pitcher. And I think when it, I think the financial implications are interesting. You know, if you look at, you know, the Mets last year with K-Rod, the whole second half of his contract was paid by the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, a team like the Brewers may be looking to shop K-Rod. But teams have relievers out there that may they may not be looking to pay for the second half of the season. And if they wait till July 31st, there's so much more of the contract that they're going to have to dish out. And Sandy Alderson has mentioned that he is interested in potentially picking up a contract that is good until the end of the 2012 season. And that being said, I really think there's some options. And if you read my blog today, I suggested some, some good options. And there was actually six pitchers that came to mind. And I'll start out with a guy that pitches for the Kansas City Royals, a guy who I thought the Mets would be interested in signing. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And that's Jonathan Broxton. He signed a one-year, $4 million contract with some incentives to pitch for the Kansas City Royals to actually be their setup man. Joaquim Soria was going to be the closer. Broxton was going to be the setup man. And, of course, Soria had the Tommy John surgery, is out for the season, and now Broxton has taken over. He has been the closer, and he's actually done a very good job. He's 1-1, one 1.57 one, ERA, 18 saves in 28 games. And if you're the Kansas City Royals, yes, the future is bright. This is a team that's looking good for the future. I think they're going to be a perennial AL contender for years to come, but it's not coming in 2012. And Jonathan Broxton is not going to be there when the Kansas City Royals are winning divisions and making the postseason. So I think he would be the first pitcher that I would inquire on. Unfortunately, listen, the Mets aren't the only team that need relievers. You, you could think of between 12 and 13 teams that are legitimately looking to upgrade their bullpen right now. But I think Jonathan Broxton would be a good fit for the Mets. Uh, obviously, the numbers are showing that he's back from his injury last year. And listen, even if he makes all his incentives, I think it comes out to about $7.5 million total for the season. So it's not like the Mets are adding ridiculous payroll. The next guy I'm going to move into is a guy that's certainly controversial, a guy that has rubbed a lot of Mets fans the wrong way, and that is K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez. And I'll tell you this. The number one reason why I am in favor of the Mets bringing back Francisco Rodriguez is because of the trade that the Brewers made with the Mets last year. The Brewers really traded very little to get Francisco Rodriguez. And I think there's a favor to be returned to the New York Mets. When you trade a guy that has the history and the talent and Maybe not the fastball anymore, but the ability to pitch 
late in the game like Francisco Rodriguez, and you're the Milwaukee Brewers and you're able to obtain him for Adrian Rosario and Jonathan Herrera, then you, you made out on a trade. And I understand how Met fans say, hey, listen, we, we voided that option. We didn't have, the team didn't have to pay $17.5 million for K-Rod in 2012. And I understand that. But the bottom line is the Brewers got him for little to nothing. And I think if you're Sandy Alderson, you've got to be on the phone with Doug Melvin, the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, and say, listen, you kind of gave us a break last year. You know, we gave you a break. We didn't take very much back for K-Rod. We could use some help in our bullpen. What do you think about chip here, chip here? Maybe a couple guys that are playing for St. Lucie. Maybe somebody who is a role player in Binghamton or uh, Buffalo. And maybe you work out a trade where Francisco Rodriguez gets traded back to the Mets. That's favorable for the Mets. And I think it could work. You're looking at a guy who's owed $8 million for this season. Obviously, we're approaching the All-Star break, so you're looking at about a half of that. He is 0-4, 382 ERA, not extremely impressive. But the guy is going out there as a setup man when, he, when he's been a closer his entire career. And he's got 36 appearances, just one save. But, of course, he is, he is a setup man for a very good closer in John Axford. You add K-Rod to the Mets' bullpen, and you can make a case that he should be the closer. And I understand that that's going to cause a little problems. But if you make the trade right now, Frank Francisco is on the disabled list. You need somebody to pitch the ninth inning. It would be K-Rod. And then you make the decision when Francisco comes back. You say, listen, you know, Frankie, we signed you to be the closer, but we're going to go with something. We're, we're going to go with the hot hand right now. And Terry Collins has shown the tendency to go with the hot hand. And if Frank, Frank Francisco should get the chance to be the closer, and if it doesn't work out, then you got <coughs> Frankie Rodriguez, your closer again. And I'm in favor of it. I don't care that he beat up his daughter's mother's father in the clubhouse. Yes, that was disgraceful. That should not have happened. He got arrested for it. He was put on a disqualified list. He served his time for that. As a pitcher, he's an upgrade to what the Mets have right now. And if you don't get that, I, I just don't know what to tell you. If you look at Frank, Frankie Rodriguez, he's an upgrade to what the Mets have right now. Another guy that was interesting, because I brought him up in my article, and that's Grant Balfour of the Oakland Athletics. And Buster Olney, later on today, mentioned that it might be a fit for the New York Mets and the A's to make a trade. And, you know, I suggested it because Balfour has, you know, been on and off as the closer for the A's this year, but signed a two-year $8.1 million contract for the 2010 season. So he's a free agent at the end of this year. And currently, you know, is one and one with a 268 ERA, seven saves in 36 games. And there's a team option for 2013. Here's a guy that could come in. He is used to not being a closer. So he could come in here and maybe save a couple games if, you know, Francisco is out. And then eventually slide in and be the eighth inning guy, which I think would be a very good acquisition for the New York Mets. Let me know what you think. Um, I also suggested Houston Street, who was also on the last year of his contract. He signed a three-year, $22.5 million contract with the Colorado Rockies in, for, for the 2010 season. And obviously he's pitching for San Diego right now. Not bad numbers. 1-0, 1.5 ERA, 
11 saves in 16 games. Remember, he missed some time to start the season. And the Padres are going to go with Andrew Kashner as their closer eventually, even though he's starting right now. And Houston Street is not going to be around for the positive days for the San Diego Padres. He would be an option. Brett Myers, who I know a lot of other Met fans do not like because his days with the Phillies and maybe his the way he acts, yada, yada, yada. But he's an upgrade right now. The only thing with Myers, Myers is on the last year of his contract. He's getting paid $23 million over two seasons. So he's getting paid like a starter. Of course, the Astros made him their closer this year. So, you know, that might be a little more of an issue for the Mets to pick up some money on that contract. Maybe when they could get somebody else that they'll have to pay less money to. But Myers, 0-2, 3.46 ERA, 17 saves in 25 games for a bad Houston Astro team. And here's a guy who can, in a pinch, make a start for you if the Mets have issues in their starting rotation, which right now I think the starting rotation is okay, but it's good to have a guy that you know could come in there and be a bulldog and eat up a couple starts if you absolutely need him to. And the last guy that I put on this list is a guy that I don't really think the Mets should acquire, but I think they should inquire on, and that is Colorado Rockies closer Raphael Betancourt. Now, Betancourt is getting his first opportunity to pitch as a closer this year. He signed a four-year, $16.05 million contract prior to the 2010 season, which means he's on the third year of a four-year deal. So if you acquire him, you've got to take him on next year. But here's a guy who, similar to Balfour, similar to some of the others, has been a setup man before, is not going to come here demanding to be the closer, and has actually had very good numbers as a setup man. And I, I, think, I think it's worth thinking about if the price is right, I think the Mets should inquire on Raphael Benicourt. Any one of those six is an upgrade for what the Mets have in their bullpen right now. And that's the bottom line. I mean, you really have to look at it that way. The Mets, really, their first move is going to have to be adding a relief pitcher, particularly with Frank Francisco out right now. So, um... I'm going to give you a couple minutes. We'll get back. Uh, Jose Silva will be joining us in a little bit. Past Ball Show Radio Network, JohnPielli.com. See you in a little bit. Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***. Put that in. I don't So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, 6-1 to one to the ring. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to ask is baseball going into the highest baseball sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie that you believe. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, he's out. Yes, he's out. Look at this! Freddie is out, and Damon Mack! I don't want to hear the argument about other sports. I'm in the baseball business.
Sell the team. Passball show, MTR Radio Network. Sorry about the little tiny bit of technical issues that we're having. We did have, we have a media program that down, has all our songs downloaded in it. And I'm actually running through a different program. Happy to have the music, the theme song, yada, 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 everything going on uh, for the Passball show. But, you know, it doesn't sound as crisp as I want it to. But, you know, for that, I apologize for uh, welcome back. Passball show, MTR Radio Network. Um, I'm just going to touch on one more thing. And, uh, you know, we got some more stuff going on. I got a ton of topics to hit up in the second hour. So, you know, as usual, we'll probably have a bunch of things we don't touch on. But we were talking about, I was talking about before about the Mets adding a relief pitcher. And I mentioned six names uh, Broxton, K Rod, Balfour, Street, Myers, Betancourt, who could all probably be had right now in a, you know, in a, in a fair world right now. And I think. You know, the question I raised at the beginning that Met fans are going to have is how do we make a trade when we're building for the future? And, you know, unfortunately, somebody will have to be traded. And I know Met fans don't like to hear that. They like to hold out every waking hope that every player that's in the minor league system will be able to develop into a superstar. And that's what's good about minor leaguers because you never know. You know, a guy, you know, a guy that comes, you know, really out of nowhere that, you know, you didn't believe in. You know, you look back and say, why did you trade him? And, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have to trade something. And, you know, when they talk about the Wheelers and the Familias and the Matt Harveys, obviously those guys are off limits. Obviously, Brandon Nemo is not being traded. You know, even a Kirk Newenheis, I, I think odds are you would have, it would have to be for the right player to trade a guy like Kirk Newenheis. Matt Dendecker is probably off limits. But what players would be on limits if you're a Mets fan right now? And I'm going to run through a list of a couple players, and you know I kind of want you to absorb it. You know, maybe next week call in and talk about it. But we'll start out with a guy that was on my show. I actually got to see pitch down in uh, Binghamton against Trenton Thunder a couple weeks ago, and that's Greg Peavy. He's moved up through the system pretty well. He pitched for Savannah. He moved up to uh, St. Lucie's, pitching for Binghamton. His numbers aren't too bad, but he might be a guy that's expendable. He's a his starting pitcher, certainly has some talent. I don't think he really stands up there to be the ace type of pitcher. But with the amount of pitchers the Mets have coming through, the Mets may be willing to part with a Greg Peavy. Another guy who I saw for the first time while I was down in Binghamton was uh, Gonzalez Germain, a right-hand pitcher who you know actually has some good stuff. Uh, you know, get a chance to see him for the first time. He pitched in the seventh inning. He's thrown a couple good games down there. But he's also a guy that's been under the radar. He's not a guy that's gotten a lot of attention if you are the New York Mets and the Mets media, stuff like that. He's not up in the same class as the other guys. And uh, we'll put that thought on hold. Right now I'm going to welcome in um, Jose Silva, former pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, came out with a career record of 25-28, and 28, 541 ERA in 154 games. Jose, you there, buddy. It's John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Yeah, it's Jose. Hey, Jose, thanks for coming in, man. How you doing? All right? Good. Yeah, I'm doing Yeah, I just wanted to start out, man. Uh, I think one thing that intrigued me about you, you're still pitching right now? Yeah, still pitching. Yeah, so what are you, you're down in the Mexican League right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm down in the Mexican Summer League, yes. So how's that going, man? You, you still still throwing the ball well? Yeah, still throwing good. Um, I had a little accident last year, like surgery, so... Uh, 
kind of slowed down this year, but I've been pitching pretty good down here. I've played most like nine, ten months out of the year. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you had a chance to pitch, you know, the late 90s, early part of 2000s in the majors. Uh, do you still have that burning desire to get back into, in, into the bigs? Is this something that you really see as a goal of you still? Oh, definitely. I mean, you never know. You know, someone might meet somebody. Uh, you never know with a little experience. You know, you never know. If you don't have a uniform on, you're not, you're not going to get a chance. So I figure I stop playing when they stop paying me to play and always have that dream of still uh, getting back to the major leagues. Now, I'll tell you, because that, that, that's an awesome sign because, you know, a lot of pitchers kind of get down in the dumps because, you know, you know the, the big leagues is tough. You know, you have, you know, if you, you get in unless you're, you know, a top of the line pitcher, you know, pitching every fifth day with, you know, like sensational numbers and a reputation, you know, a bad week could cost you your job. And when you're pitching, you oh, know, definitely. when you're pitching in middle relief spot starting like that, you know, a week and then you could be gone. So to have the determination yeah. to still want to do and to still go out there and pitch, I give you some credit. I think that's awesome that you're still out there. You're still pushing your dream to try to get back to the big leagues. I think that's awesome, man. Oh, thank you, thank you. I know a lot of my a lot of my guys, I've, uh, a lot of co-players and players I play with, they don't even play anymore, and I get in touch with them somehow, and they're like, you're still pitching? They're like, you're probably still throwing hard, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm, just, I'm still still having fun, and, you know, it's a little tough leaving the family and stuff, but, you know, you, you never know. Someone might need a little help somewhere, you know, pitching. I'll, I'll stop pitching when, like I said, they don't give me a uniform anymore, or they stop paying me, or you know kids gotta eat <laughs> no, absolutely man now you got some perspective for pitching in the Met mexican league and maybe you could compare it a little bit to pitching in, in uh in in the majors what do you think's the major difference between pitching obviously uh, obviously the the level of professionalism and stuff like that and the ranking of where the league is but what do you think's the major difference between pitching you know in a in a mexican league and pitching in the majors well i think uh pitching in the majors uh I think it's a little easier than pitching in the minor down here in the Mexican league. Really? Here, a pitcher as a pitcher's point because you can't really set up hitters. They swing at it almost. Every, they know you're going to be around the plate, so they swing at everything. Big leagues. Um, when I was there, they they sit on a pitch and they wait for their pitch. Especially, you know, you, you throw two, three pitches, four pitches before they take a swing. Here, they don't let you to throw two or three pitches because they're swinging at everything. It's the, the most I can compare it to is like a major leaguer going to a rehab start in the minor leagues, like single A or double A, and they always give up eight or nine runs, earn runs. Um, that's the best I could compare it to. Yeah, I understand what you're saying because, you know, a lot of hitters, you know, in the majors particularly are trained to work the count a little bit, maybe try to, you know, get ahead in the count where the pitcher has to come in with a fastball. So they'll, they'll, they'll probably take that first pitch strike. And you know, obviously, you right. know, yeah, that's a good point because, you know, you see how – you know, a hitter that's sitting on a fastball kind of takes that right out of your repertoire. That first pitch fastball, yeah, definitely. you're throwing yeah. that first pitch fastball, and you're like, all right, uh, you know, maybe he'll take it, maybe he won't. In the majors, you're in a league like the Mexican League, they're sitting first pitch fastball, so that's almost out of the option for you. You probably got to go to a breaking ball or, or a secondary pitch to start most hitters out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, here, um, when I came to Mexico, I learned how to throw a change of I mean, you know, I got a good changeup now, which I could have used when I was in the big leagues. But you know, here um, they you could throw 98, 99. They're they're in, they see it once or twice, and they're going to hit it because you know they they're up here, they're swinging. Um, changeup, get out in front of it a little bit. You know, uh, so 
like you said, it's just you, you just got to use your your repertoire a little bit more, different pitches, and I think it makes you a better pitcher. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, well, once again, we're here with Jose Silva, former pitcher for the Pirates, currently pitching in the Mexican League. John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Um, as as you were you were pitching, you obviously relieved in the majors. You started, you know. Now, what are you are you are you a starter now? Are you a reliever in the Mexican League? What are you doing mostly? Well, when I first got here, like eight nine years ago, I started uh, starting. But then scout came down and was like, "Well, to get back to the majors, you probably be a reliever, you know, short relief, or you know, whatever." Um, so I started relieving, and I've been closing the last like seven years, eight years. So I've been doing pretty good this year. Like I said, last year I had surgery on my shoulder, my foot. You know, I, everyone says about my accidents, my foot got stuck in the rubber, and I threw a pitch, and I tore a little uh, some a muscle in my shoulder. Oh, but I had surgery has got mad, and um, I've just been rehabbing, coming back barely, like like now, and I've been doing pretty good. I've been setting up from the setup right now, so you know, I got like about ten, twelve innings under my belt, so I've been doing all right. Started off kind of slow, but now I'm getting my low groove, so everything, everything, just been relieving the last couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You said you gotten a chance to be a closer. You you feel like you got that moxie of what it takes to be that you know late inning guy. Is that? Is, <laughs> yeah, is definitely. That, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. you know the bottom line is you either got it or you don't. And you know you see a lot. Yeah, of, you no, see a lot of pitchers yeah. get thrown into it. It's not really for them. But you know some people have that you know bulldog mentality that you know you could bounce back off of giving up you know a three run homer one day and still have what it takes to pitch the next day. Yeah, definitely. It's it's, it's tough to do, but. Uh, I've been doing down here, and I've been doing it in winter ball with the Tomateros de Culiacan for the last eight years, and I'm do, I've been doing pretty good. Thank God, got a good team too, so that helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You, you're playing on a good team. You certainly got a better chance to win. Hey, now going back to your major league career a little bit. You know, you started out in 1996 with the uh, what was it, the Pirates, right? No, it was Toronto. Oh, it was with Toronto. Toronto. My, my 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 bad. And uh, you, know, yeah. you, you moved around, you started, you relieved a little bit. Was there was there ever a point where you felt like you really had it as far as having what it takes to be able to maintain yourself as a major leaguer for a long time? Um, I did one year. Um, a year or two there at pitch. Uh, it's just kind of hard when you're moving around. You're not, you're, not in one, you're not starting or you're not relieving. And you're not, you're not, you know, you're kind of just like you don't know what you're going to do from week to week. So it's kind of it's that, I think that's tough when when they bring guys up, you know they always bring them in there as relievers and they, they put them as a starter. I think you just should. Um, it's easier for players to know what their role is. And when I was with, you know, it was kind of tough. When I was with the Pirates, I really, I was starting half the season, relieving the other half, and then I come in the next year doing the same thing. From week to week, it was different. So I think I think that's kind of tough on on everybody. Plus the arm and. You know, you get stupid injuries and, you know, stuff like that. So I just think that it's tougher for, for a pitcher when you don't know your role. No, absolutely, man. I agree with that because, you know, you build up a pitch count to, let's say, throw 100 pitches as a starter, and then you relieve for two weeks, and then you're called on to start again. You know, so I, I understand how it, it takes its toll on your arm. And, you know, listen, you go out there to make a start after you're relieving for two weeks, and maybe you only have a pitch count of, you know, 75, you know, 80 pitches, and you may not be able to, you know, either finish a game or pitch deep into a game like, you know, you really feel like you could. Yeah, definitely, definitely. More mental. I think it's more mental. Physically, you're, if you're a starter, you could probably do anything, but I think it's more mentally prepared that it's more, you know, in the big leagues, it's more being mentally. It's, you know, 85% mental, and the rest of the 15% is 
is um, physical. So I just think it's more mentally mental than physical. Yeah, you know, it definitely is, man. Now, uh, yeah, as you move on, you know, you know, towards the end of your playing career, was there was was there a point that you really felt like you were getting towards the end, or did you always you always see yourself sticking around in the major leagues? Um, well, I you know I I I was in Cincinnati my last year. I got injured before I went down there. Uh, winter ball actually, and you know I wasn't. Th- I had surgery in the spring training, and I I wasn't throwing as hard. They used to see me throw 97, 98, 99. I came in throwing 92, 93, and I threw like that during the, the, my last year, which I didn't really pitch that good, good, but, I mean, and then that was my last year, so they didn't really like that. It wasn't throwing hard anymore, so I got released, and I couldn't get back in the, in the majors after that because of, you know, injuries like that, you know, broke my leg, broke my wrist, stupid stuff like that, and, I just took a toll. The funny thing is, I've been down in Mexico for nine years, and I think I've I've gotten hurt once. <laughs> but that's part that's part of life. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I could sit here and you know fall off the chair right now and get a you know get an injury myself. They injuries happen, man. They you can't control when they happen. You could go years without you know any type of major injury, and all of a sudden it just crawl up on you on one day. Um, now listen, exactly. go um, going back and. You know, I'm trying to trying to just you know get it, get in the mind of you as you're going through your playing career. You obviously get you know your your last you know your your chance with the Cincinnati Reds. It doesn't work out. Uh, what what was what was your initial feeling? Was it like all right, I'm going to sit around and you know try to latch on to another team, or had you decided, listen, I'm going to go pitch in Mexico and we'll see how things go from there? How how, how was your uh, your mindset when that all happened? Well, I uh, I went to spring training. With um, I don't know who they go to with that year. I think um, I went to spring training with somebody. Oakland. They gave me like three innings in spring training. I mean, it was just kind of like bad luck, you know, bad timing, bad teams. Um, not bad teams, bad. The teams didn't really need me, but I went to spring training. With, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I latched on to these teams that didn't really need me. Yeah, yeah. So I it was kind of like a bad, bad. Uh, not bad teams, bad decisions. The teams that I went to signed with. And um, kept playing, kept playing, and I didn't see a future. And not a future, just I wasn't getting any opportunities. I heard always the same things that, oh, you always hurt, you always hurt. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go. My kids need to eat. I need to be where I think I could uh, help out a team. And maybe if a team wants me, I'll be in Mexico. You know, and I've been here ever since. And, you know, I always think to myself, the way I play is, you know, I'm, trying to get back, you know, like you never know who's in the stands watching me and uh, hopefully somebody's watching me, I'm doing good, and they'll give me a chance, you know. Yeah, now you're you're obviously approaching your late 30s, almost 40 years old now. Yeah. Let me, let me ask, how, how 38. hard? 38. <laughs> 38, man, awesome, dude. Now, how, how hard are you throwing now? Um, I'm still throwing like 93, 94. Okay. So, so, so yeah. you would you would you would think that you know that's that's something that a major league team would be interested in at least giving you a shot, right? Yeah, you know, you know, but I mean, I don't control that. I just I control what I do on the field and everything else. It's, like I said, it's a, I always think to myself. I see somebody, so hopefully somebody's in the stands watching me. If you're not playing, you can't get a job. And hopefully somebody sees me and I could get a shot. That would that would be awesome. But if I don't, I'm you know playing down here, even if it's Japan, Korea, or wherever. You know, people think I'm a little older. 
mean, my name's people think I'm like 45, you know, because my name's been around a lot longer. But um, uh, you never know. I mean, I don't have any bad bad taste in my mouth for anything. It's just kind of I'm playing ball, you know. I'm you know a lot of the guys I play with are at home chilling, or they got jobs, and I'm still I'm still how they say I'm still living the dream. Yeah, you are, man. And I, I can relate to it 100 percent because what I'm doing with my show and everything, I'm obviously looking to move on to bigger and better things. And, you know, you, you made a great point. You cannot be noticed if you're not out there doing it. You know, if I'm, exactly. sitting, if I'm sitting at home waiting for, you know, whatever to call me and I ain't, I ain't doing anything, I ain't showing that I can do something, then there's no way anybody's going to take a look at me. So I, I totally feel how you're going 100% with this. Listen, I wish you the best of luck, Jose. Hopefully, you know, a team takes a chance on you. we see you back in the major league soon. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And no problem, Jose. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Yeah, that was that's Jose Silva, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Awesome job. Uh, listen, we're gonna we're gonna hit up some stuff going on within the next hour. We'll break probably around uh, six on the dot, and we'll get back to the, some baseball stuff. But um, one thing about you know one thing I respect about Jose Silva is here's a guy who has you know had a major league career already. He's been in the majors. He pitched from two, from 1996 with Toronto to his years with the Pittsburgh Pirates to finishing up in Cincinnati in 2002. It's 2012 now, and this guy is still going out there, busting his ass, showing what he's got. And the fact that he's throwing the ball at 92, 93 miles an hour, listen, teams need arms. And I wouldn't be surprised if you heard Jose Silva's name you know, as an invite to a team in spring training next year, perhaps even this year. And, you know, best of luck. I hope this guy gets back to the big leagues. A good, you know, good guy. And, you know, I appreciate him having a couple minutes today. Uh, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Uh, lots to go over. Definitely going to hit up some stuff. Kirk Jimenez in the second hour is going to join us about 620. We'll talk some SNY. We'll talk about how he got to where he is now. And next week, I'm going to be broadcasting live from Bogey's Tavern down in Egg Harbor, New Jersey. Uh, day after 4th of July, certainly going to hit up a lot of stuff. We'll keep you posted on the guests for that show because certainly things going on every week. And I'm bringing in, you know, listen, uh, you, part of being a radio show host is having the opportunity to do what I'm doing. And when I'm interviewing players, whether it's a Jose Silva, whether it turns out someday to be a Doc Gooden, you know, every, every player's got their own story. And, you know, nobody nobody really hears it. And I think a great thing about the Passball Show is going to bring out all these different personalities, all these different players. And the bottom line is we, we need to hear more stories. We need to stop talking about the generic stuff. You know, what's going on with this or that. You know, New York sports. Yeah, that's great. New York sports is awesome. You know, we could talk Yankees and Mets all day. But if you're listening to the same radio station that's saying the same stuff, I, I want to grab your interest. I want to get you an interview of some. And that's what's great about the Passball Show. Listen, I'm going to hit up. i got about four minutes left before I'm going to break for the top of the hour. And then we'll come back with Kirk Jimenez on the bottom part. Um, Tim Lincecum pitched, you know, has, has struggled this year. And a lot has been brought into whether it's a mechanical issue, what's going on. The guy's pitching to a 6 ERA. He's got eight losses. Um, what, what's going on with Tim Lincecum? Here's a guy that signed a contract with the San Francisco Giants to be you know, the ace, the premium, the Cy Young guy, two-time Cy Young Award winner, the the big guy for the future. And, you know, he has spit the bit this year. He has not looked good. And I think it's bringing some concerns 
maybe not so much for the San Francisco Giants, who had already decided that they were going to extend Matt Cain long-term and sign Lentz to come through the end of next season. And he may test free agency. I think he has pretty much until then to show that he is the Lincecum that he's been before. I mean, here's a guy coming off of his last start, which I, I don't have on my stats. 2-8 and eight from 15 starts, 6.07 ERA, 83 innings, 83 hits. You know, here's a guy who's missing bats a lot towards the beginning of his career, was not reaching the same amount of hits as innings pitched. And I think that's one major factor. Obviously, the big part of his problem has been his control, which has certainly not been where it needs to be. He's got, he's got the strikeouts, you know, approaching 100 Ks already, but 45 walks in 83 innings is not getting the job done. And he's got to find a way to not put runners on base. That leads to the high whip, which is 1.542 which is not very good for an ace starting pitcher, and walks per nine innings almost five. And you got a guy pitching, you know, seven innings, you know, averaging five walks per nine innings. That's four walks. You're getting a hit an inning. So you're getting four walks and seven hits and seven innings every day. That's 11 base runners. Plus, if somebody makes an error in back of you or you hit a batter, that's not good. And, you know, Tim Lincecum has the ability. He certainly can be one of the premier pitchers in the game again, and I do believe it. And I do believe we haven't seen the best of Tim Linskim yet. But right now, unfortunately, it hasn't worked out this season. Obviously, Bruce Bochy and the San Francisco Giants are going to run this guy out there every day. And you cannot dispute that. That's going to happen. He's going to be on the mound every fifth day. And you're going to see what happens over the course of 33-34 starts with Tim Linskim, who had a 500 season last year, but that was not his fault. That offense sucked. The San Francisco Giants offense last year was terrible. And I say that because I could say this year they've been very good. The Giants' acquisitions of Melky Cabrera and Angel Pagan have, have been huge for them. And they're actually on a very good run now chasing the Los Angeles Dodgers. And right now might be the best team in the National League West. And that's something that certainly bodes well for a guy like Tim Lincecum who just needs to go out there and do his thing. If he could go out there and keep the team in the game, get some confidence, maybe pick up a couple wins, you know, for you know, from his offense, you know, then I think he could be headed in the right direction. Here was a guy who was thirteen and fourteen last year, but he had a two seventy four ERA. He did not deserve to have a thirteen and fourteen season. You look at a guy like Clayton Kershaw who's going through the same thing with the Dodgers this year. His record should not be what it is. He's pitched better than that. You know, it's time that the, you know, the offense comes and helps you out. And the Giants offense is better equipped to, uh, to, to get the job done right now. So, uh, you know, I, I wish the best for Tim Lincecum. He's actually one of, the, one of the more interesting guys to watch. You know, those mechanics, his follow-through and everything. And you could tell he puts so much strain and effort into his pitches. And listen, here's a guy that I expect over the course of the next year or so to regain the form that won him two straight Cy Young Award winners. So, uh, once again, we'll hit, hit you up in a little bit. Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. We'll take a break back after this. 